Sex for smart people. I am Dave, and my preferred pronoun is he. I am Stephanie, and my preferred pronouns are she or they. And I'm Miriam, and my preferred pronouns are she or they. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Miri, I'm so honored to have you with us. I've been obsessing over your writing on your blog, Brute Reason and The Daily Dot, and I'm so thrilled that you could join us. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yay. <laughs> and so today we're going to interview Miri a little bit about Miri or Miriam. I realize I'm calling you Miri. It is Miri. It is Miri. Okay. That um, uh, interview Miri about her work and then we'll address some listener questions and then special bonus discussion what? about the quagmires about Gian Gomeshi and also a case that's going down involving uh, around questionable consent uh, with a Northwestern University professor. Okay. And uh, so that'll be the bonus conversation. And then we'll do quickies. It's going to be a good one. Should I ask, should I wait to check in about what that, what that bonus topic is until we get there? Totally. We're going to surprise you. It's going to be great. Bonus. (laughs) So Miri, what is your relationship to relationships? Um, as the, as the kids say on Facebook, it's complicated. Um, I feel like I'm someone who's always in a state of conflict over, um, how much of myself I should be giving to other people versus how much I should be spending on my own work. Um, I'm always struggling to give what I feel is the proper amount and always struggling to define sort of this complicated web of relationships that I have. Mm. And what is that work that, that, that you do? Um, So I am a student in social work school in my second year of my master's. Um, So I do sort of um, counseling as an intern right now. And then that's what I hope to continue doing throughout my life. Um, I also write, um, as Stephanie mentioned, my blog is called Brute Reason. And I also write for The Daily Dot. So, you know, social work counseling, these are things that take a lot out of me sometimes. Um, Sure. So it's difficult to feel that I'm giving as much of myself as I should be. Uh, to the people in my life. And you work with LGBTQ youth primarily at the moment, yeah? Yes, I do. And what does that look like? Um, So it's an organization that provides free social services um, to LGBTQ youth. So um, as a social work intern, I do a lot of the work that full-time staff do, um, which I do counseling sessions. I run sort of groups that are like part support group part therapeutic group um we have a pantry where young people come to get free uh food and clothing and i take them there and that's also sort of a therapeutic encounter um sometimes and then other things that happen i help out with intake uh when new people come to our organization and become new members that's such noble work and just like as we were talking about a little bit beforehand like how often when people go to a therapist or counselor they have to like leave their sexual selves or their sexuality like separate outside the door or it gets pathologized and um, I just think it's so noble what you are doing. Yeah that's um, that's the primary reason why I want to work with the LGBTQ community actually as a as a therapist. Um, I was gonna say like what lit this particular fire under your ass? <laughs> um, it's just that you know whenever I hear people talk about their experiences with therapy almost any time that there is anything about their sexuality or gender that is considered abnormal or non-normative 
they will say that they have had difficult or even traumatic experiences with therapy Mm -hmm. because they have not been accepted. Um, Even in cases where therapists are trying their absolute best to be quote unquote tolerant, they often end up sort of demanding that the client educate them because they're like, well, I don't know what polyamory is. Well, isn't BDSM just getting beaten up? How is that okay? And then it becomes on the client to educate them. And that I think is the part that, you know, you pay for therapy. Um, If you're educating your therapist, you should be the one getting paid. (laughs) Word. Huh. And what, I mean, I, I love so much that you've written. Basically, like every, everything that you write, I just like exclaim yes out loud as I'm writing. But um, what that you're writing about these days is, um, it's like most exciting to you. Um, I write a lot about um, communication and consent, not even just around um, sex and sexuality, but a lot of, around a lot of interpersonal things. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking about this throughout, throughout the show. Um Woo-hoo. But that's exciting to me because I feel like I and my fellow sort of friends and activists are really trying to present another way of thinking about other human beings and the way that we interact with them Mm -hmm. um, that's based on consent and explicit communication rather than on scripts or roles or obligations. Hooray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know that in the in the news these past few weeks has been California's new law or or the rule about uh, how consent must be. Uh, or uh, from my understanding of it that now on college campuses ex- uh, consent has to be expressly given mm-hmm. um how are they how is that how is that law is that, a, is that are they doing well is that a good thing is that a step in the right direction i think it's definitely a step in the right direction um my one thought i had that was negative about the law was that i ultimately don't feel like laws are the solution that we're we should be looking for sure um i feel like it's often the only solution that people in positions of power can think of because that, that's how we're used to making <laughs> right. things change. Um, but yeah, I feel like we should be really going in. I'm not even talking about college. I'm talking about childhood, early childhood um, and teaching children about consent and communication um, because then these laws might not even be necessary. Word. Can I chime in about that? Totally. I just, I really liked the piece that Ezra Klein wrote. Yes. And um, he said uh, the the consent law in California is a terrible law and I completely support it. Yeah, and I kind of yeah. agree that that like it's it is, you know, some could say it's going too far. Like, um, you know, why do we need to like legislate and make a rule book for this? But the scales have been tipped so far in the other direction for so long that I think like a little bit of overcompensation is actually like maybe unfortunately like the way to move forward, even though I agree that like, um, addressing this as like a cultural and like values based thing is what's really going to create the world that I would like to see. Yeah. I wonder if um, quota based affirmative action is actually a good analogy for this. Um, obviously, a different sort of problem, but a similar thing in which this is so systemic, this is so historical. Quota based, like how people do traffic tickets? Oh, like. um, no, like <laughs> the, the idea that um, organizations doing hiring or colleges doing admissions should try to get a certain percentage of certain groups of people in Mm. um, as opposed to just choosing the best. Um, You know, a lot of people criticize this as saying, well, it's just like racism because you're choosing people partially based on their race. Um, And that's why, I mean, I don't even know that I agree with that because you're still choosing the best. Um, But I think it's a similar situation in which it's a law that shouldn't have to exist, but because this sort of discrimination has been going on for so long, there might not be any other way to correct. Right. For yep. what has happened. 
Yeah. It's reminiscent of how I feel about um, the Affordable Care Act, which is this law is an epic piece of shit. And also, I didn't die this year because I can go see a doctor. So that's nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not dying is, is good. Yeah, it's totally. True. It's true. On that note. Yeah. On to questions. Oh, I see. I didn't. I had no idea we're going. <laughs> that really could have gone a number of ways. On the note of, of not dying. <laughs> the note of not would dying. Everybody would have other things to say about not dying. I'm really a fan of it. Of the of the of not dying. Of not dying. This has been a really I, and I, the California affirmative consent. Bill? I haven't read it. I think that I think uh, I'm a fan of it um, in as much as it's gotten. Uh, it's gotten a, a, a larger conversation about consent in the public sphere, which I think is is a good thing because I feel like it's something that's so often not talked about. And I feel like it's so often something that is sort of even shame is put on it. Um, Especially, sorry, especially the, the affirmative aspect of it, because people are still used to thinking of consent as the absence of a no. Totally. Until a no is given, you've got consent. This Mm. is reframing it as until a yes is given. You You don't don't have. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I I do wish that there were a little bit more conversation about the nuances, like the fact that body language can be consent. Like if someone says they want to have sex with you and you start ripping their clothes off, you are in fact saying that you want to have sex with them. It doesn't have to be, would you like to have sex now? Yes, I would. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I think the law allows for that too. Like it doesn't have to be verbal. I think people don't understand that it does. Yeah. 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 I remember we addressed a question last time two times ago about about from somebody who really liked the the ambiguity who liked hooking up with people at parties remember am i am i making Mm -hmm. this up and i i'm 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 just such a fan of this idea that it's putting into into the public sphere (laughs) a a greater sense of like hey uh, this larger body wishes wants you to know that consent is important i don't know I, i i agree that it's it's an inelegant solution but i think at this point it might be better than nothing i agree with that and i feel like can't we all like as a culture this is just me being Pollyannish, i guess i know i know (laughs) but like that like anybody that is like if anybody is having sex with anybody else that everybody should be excited about it or like or everybody should be like into it like that <laughs> shouldn't be a radical notion right oh, come on now like, <laughs> I mean, like you said Mary we shouldn't have to legislate that but come on now right like the, the, I mean this is just I, I mean we should all be flying around <laughs> sex is a positive for everybody involved in it my goodness I mean, I there are people who are saying you know things like oh this law is so pathetic you know human beings have conducted such things just fine on their own for however long <laughs> oh. and I'm like look one look at the statistics will show you that we have not been conducting no, it just fine. We've been pretty bad at and it. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's an inelegant solution. Nearly half of fem- of female college students experience sexual assault while in college. It's yeah, wild. especially when you start defining it as it actually should be. That is nothing specifically to do with penetration. Unwanted mm-hmm. sexual touching is unwanted sexual touching. Now, so like you said, it's an inelegant solution, but this is what we as a society have come to. Yeah. I think now we need such solutions. Mm. <sighs> oh man so now okay now we can really on to questions <laughs> if we have to question one pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> those are wimpy if you're gonna do sound I, well, effects you were looking right really at, you were really it, looking McGee. at you were looking at me like is he gonna do it uh, <laughs> and i know i'm, but what I'm something you? feeling self-conscious about it no. <laughs> wait okay. no go again because if, if question one <laughs> 
question. Okay. Now, now Miri can actually have an opinion about it because you actually went for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we, when, when this, when this is the big time, there'll be, there'll be actual lasers. Lasers will come out of whatever speakers you're listening to this uh, yeah, into your ears. It will rewire your brain. Question. What are we talking about? Question one. I've been married for seven years now and my husband is amazing and GGG. I was always self-conscious and had a hard time having an orgasm. But as the years go by, I get more and more comfortable with myself. I've still never been able to come from sex alone, though, and I am wondering if there is something wrong with me. The sex is great. My husband gives a shit about my pleasure, but being able to come simultaneously while he is inside me feels like this mythical holy grail, although I don't think it should be. What am I missing? What can we do differently? Am I just blocked? Is this possible? Oh, love. (laughs) I hear this so much. Well, it has that nugget that we talked about with, I think, Tuana, which is the nugget of every question being, is there something wrong with me? Yeah. And the answer is almost always no. Almost always yeah, no. I don't think I've ever answered yes to such a question. Well, cheers to having great sex seven years into a relationship and cheers to giving a shit about each other's pleasure. Hey, that's That's good. an awesome starting yeah, place. Yeah, and, and getting more and more comfortable as time goes on. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'm so torn with, like, first diving in here because... On the one hand, I want to say, like, I want to, like, invite everyone to, like, like, it, the who wrote in uses the thing about, like, can't come from just sex and, like, presuming, like, penis and vagina sex as, like, that's the definition of sex. And so on the one hand, I want to, like, invite people into a more expansive definition of that. And then on the other hand, like, there are things, you know, like, we can talk cock rings and positions and, they, like, penis and vagina sex is one thing on the menu that can feel really nice and while less than a third of women actually uh like i'm gonna yeah um seven i read like seven percent to thirty percent of women come from vaginal penetration i even think that's dubious because we don't know if there's also clitoral stimulation or not even in that so like you know there are things that we can talk about in that direction too but i like I don't know. Those are I'm torn between those two directions. We're assu- and and or we're assuming for the purposes of this discussion that the person writing in has a vagina. Oh, you know, it I had say I had assumed, but I think so. I think I yeah. Think they so. said they said in I I feel that um if they said inside of me and I feel that if this were anal sex there might be less of an expectation that someone have an orgasm while receiving anal sex. Yeah. But, mm, um. Yeah, I think that I think I think I think that's a that's a that's an okay assumption to make here. Where do you go first when you hear this, Mary? I I guess w- what I think is that um, it is true that few people can have an orgasm just from having something penetrate their vagina. I mean, just anatomically, in most cases, that's not really how it works. There are a lot fewer nerve endings in there than there are in the clitoris. Um, that's why most uh, orgasms are clitoral. Um, there's like no not awkward way to say that. Um, you know, I would, I think that... It could uh, be far more awkward than that. Let me just let you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen, I, I can't cite specific studies because I'm not like a human computer, but I, I've seen research suggesting that um, women who orgasm from vaginal penetration are also having their clitoris stimulated in some way uh, at the same time. And that could be intentional or it could just be the way the person is rubbing against them um, or whatever the case might be. Sure. I I was reading... A, a while ago, actually, before this question came in, about the Freud's bullshit around this, oh, where like I, I love that him. book. There is a th- <laughs> yes, Freud's, Freud's bullshit, bullshit around this. <laughs> <laughs> the old, the timeless classic by Carl <laughs> Jung. 
um, bullshit. Like this conception of like clitoral orgasm being like something childish that then a woman then outgrows to experience the mature pleasure of a penis inside her because whatever, you know, like such bullshit. But I feel like there are, <laughs> but I feel, I feel for the person who wrote in, like feeling somehow like there's something wrong with her from coming. Cause I think there are a lot of, um, I don't know, like bad residue from that idea. And even though it's like, it's also widely known that Kinsey disproved that, but like, I think that that, has a hold in society. I don't know this Kinsey hard. thing you just talked about. Um, Kinsey just did studies. I would need to look it up about the specifics, but just to, sh- he's, he's the, like, I, in my understanding, the first one to study, like, just how low the statistic is of women who come from, from vaginal penetration alone, or people, I should say, people with pussies who come from vaginal penetration alone. Um, yeah. So I feel for the person who wrote in, like, and I talked to a lot of people who feel like, there's some kind of holy grail that they'll never get to. Yeah. Because it's also, I think, um, a lot of people have this really romantic image of, you know, you finally connect with someone sexually and you have this, you know, simultaneous orgasms, you know, while having penetrative sex because that's sort of considered kind of the highest thing that most intimate thing that you can do. Um, And when we have these images, you know, you see them in film and television and literature, it can be really hard to let go of that as the image to which you aspire with your own sex life. Totally. But so, so uh, let's lay it on the line. Is that correct? Is that the highest level you can achieve? Is that, is that doing it right? If you're doing it right, are you coming together with PIV? You know what I mean? I sure don't think so. I mean, I think maybe for some people it is. Um, But that's not like written the heavens that that is that is doing sex right. Let's all just like riff, like throw in the ring things that feel equally or more pleasurable to that or can. Oral sex. Really good ice cream. (laughs) Like really good. Yeah. Um, Hitachi magic wand. Oh, that was going to be mine. Um, Or having penetrative sex in a position that you can still stimulate yourself with a vibrator. Cheers to that. Yeah. And so I wonder, I want to ask the person who wrote in, like, have you, um, do you, are you comfortable bringing a vibrator in to your sex with a partner? Um, I also, I guess the biggest thing that I would ask this person if I were having an actual conversation with them is, um, what gets you off when you're alone? Like when you, when you make love to yourself in your solo sex practice, like how do you come and do you use a vibrator? Do you use your fingers? And are there elements of that that you can bring in with your partner? And I think there's a conception that some people like feel threatened by that or bringing, bringing a vibrator in or, or like that it's somehow like not as good because then like they are not giving the pleasure. But like if But it's still like you're you're connecting whatever you're doing with each other, whether there's a toy or other hands there. Like it's still your connection. I would like to see that shaken up in a big way. Yeah, definitely. It could also, um, you could also have uh, your partner use the vibrator. And then especially if it's one with maybe variable function, it can be a fun thing where they have control over that. Um, Kind of like if they were taking kind of the penetrative role during sex. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I mean, like in short, no, no, there's nothing wrong with you. No person, no lovely human being. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and, um, uh, and I think that, I think that remembering that your focus here is uh, having pleasure together, not one of you giving the other pleasure. I think that that might be a good way to reframe it. Uh huh. And the thing that we've said before, like being pleasure focused rather than orgasm centric, like I love orgasms. Orgasms are wonderful, but like that there is. I'm ambivalent. Like, 
each their own. But that, like, I do think, like, the idea of, like, finishing is, like, kind of like a um, a masculine-centric way of thinking about sex. And so, like, I I get that it can be awesome to have an orgasm and, and to have an orgasm sort of on the same track with a partner or at the same time as a partner could be a cool thing. But to to prioritize that might be getting in the way of other pleasure that you could be experiencing and opened up to. Imagine if this resonates with you, the idea of finishing when you're both so exhausted and just satiated that you can't do it anymore, as opposed to finishing (laughs) because one or both of you has happened to have an orgasm. Oh, yummy. That's great. I love it. Speaking of yummy, but but, and ice cream, by the way, ice cream. Yeah. Do you know do you, do you know about Ample Hills in 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 Park Slope? Yes. Okay. I don't know. I just like saying as long as we're talking about really good things it's in the really, world like orgasms, uh-huh. maybe if you're around Brooklyn going to Ample Hills and getting yourself some sweet as honey ice cream, I think you'll be okay with the fact that I describe it as an orgasmic experience. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess before we move on, I just like I feel for this person like it's a real I feel like I even am like a little bit like making light of this concern. Like this is, I think it's okay to, to want this. I just think like, it'll be even more awesome if, if you're also opened up to, to exploring other things, but just like very practically, if, if you are already, say you're already exploring other things and like, like vibrators and hands and oral sex, and that's all in like huge things on the menu and going great. And then you also want to work toward this. Like there are like, um, I think just like very basically, which you alluded to, like um, experimenting with with positions where you can get more friction on your clit. Um, sometimes if your partner's like pelvic bone can rub against you, um, your partner's hands, your hands on your clit, um, just like whatever you can do to make sure that you're getting the kind of stimulation that you get when you masturbate or that that feels like it's going to have you on track to orgasm if that still is something that you would like to have on the menu with all these other things on the menu too. Ooh, I wanted um, to throw in another thing about this because this relates to this idea of images of sex um, in popular culture not always being accurate. Um, Mm. So sex where the woman is on top, um, it's often, you know, if you see it in porn or if you see it elsewhere in pop culture, it's sort of the woman like bouncing up and down on this person's penis. Um, (laughs) In reality, uh, what sometimes feels good for people with clitorises is is to sort of more move back and forth on top of someone. Um, And that gives both Mm. of you stimulation. And that's actually how a lot of um, people with vaginas will end up orgasming. So that's also something to try. Um, I don't know what your sort of penetrative rocking more than thrusting yeah Yeah, because i think a lot of people think of sex as being more kind of this in and out motion and it's not necessarily or like as something that happens to you rather than Uh something everyone is actively doing including the person being penetrated yeah like yeah yeah um there's a lot there other thoughts before we move on there's nothing wrong with you yeah there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong, There's with, nothing you. wrong with you. Absolutely well, nothing. There wrong might be with something you. wrong with you, but this is not indicative of that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> not to make a blanket statement about the, the, about your your entire person. You are perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you are the <laughs> ultimate achievement of humanity. Um, no, this is not indicative of a problem. Um, but you know, good luck and remember to be nice to yourself. Yeah. Okay, here we go with question two. Stephanie's going to introduce it. <laughs> you can do it. I believe in you. Question two. <laughs> I wow. don't do sound effects. Wow. 
I see how it is. Question two. See? Yeah. We, 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 okay. Yeah. All right. We're getting somewhere bring now. bring it enough? Okay. Right. Hey, I am a hey. mostly straight girl in college. Sometimes I feel like I am, quote unquote, working it and feeling objectified by guys. And sometimes it makes me feel gross. I have a hard time predicting when I will feel which thing. So I often feel confused. How can I get clearer with myself with this? Please help. <laughs> Another one where I just so feel for this person. <laughs> I've so been there. Oh, man. What's your, what's your immediate response? Again, like there's nothing wrong with you. It's okay. Like sure. it's okay to like feeling objectified. It's okay to not like feeling objectified. And there's so much cultural bullshit swirling around this that that can amp up both ways of feeling like you should be one or the other. And I guess like I'm thinking of the time, like I think for me, like when I feel I'm in control of a situation, sometimes it can be really juicy and sexy to also feel like, feel that my, my just specifically my body separate from my personhood is really appreciated. But whenever it's something like out of my control, for example, walking down the street and all the fucking catcalling and, or, um, or just in a situation when somebody is, is flirting, but I feel like they're not seeing me as a full human and I didn't really invite that then for me that feels can often feel pretty squicky. I don't know if that's parallel to what's going on with this person. I don't know. What are your thoughts? You know, I, I think that honestly, especially given the cultural context and the specific cultural moment this is happening in, that the best thing I can do as a cis straight dude is to listen. Yeah. So I don't know. That I mean, puts, I, 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 I know that's putting onus on, on other people in the room, but no, I, that's okay. I don't really I know what to that. offer here. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. Um, I think I can definitely relate to some aspects of it, of this personally, um, especially from when I was in college, but even still now, um, I think that sometimes it feels really nice to have your body sort of admired um, and viewed sexually. Um, I think if that didn't ever feel nice, then I think most of us wouldn't enjoy sex very much. Um, I also think, I, I don't know if, if, um, this particular listener, um, has these concerns, but I often hear from other women that they feel that they are somehow setting women back or participating in their own mm. oppression or marginalization yeah. by enjoying such things. And what I want to say about that is that you cannot invite abuse or harassment or sexual assault or objectification upon yourself. Cheers. You Cheers can only to choose to be viewed in some context as a sexual object, as a sexual woman, as however you identify yourself. And the fact that you sometimes enjoy that does not give anyone a license to force it on you all the time. And mm. it doesn't mean that you then have to accept it all the time. Uh -huh. So if, for instance, I don't know what you like to do, if you like to, you know, wear a, like, tiny little dress when you go to a party and be looked at that doesn't mean that you're okay with being catcalled when you're walking to the grocery yes. store on sunday morning in your sweatpants uh-huh because when you are walking to the grocery store on sunday morning in your sweatpants you are not adopting this persona you are just a woman trying to go about her life uh-huh can we talk about the catcalling video have you guys seen it i have actually uh not watched it because i 
I don't feel that I need to relive that again. I've read a lot about it, but haven't watched it. Yeah. I mean, I'm as, in, I'm as fascinated as I like the circus around it as I am by the video itself. But how do you describe the circus around it? Well, it's just such a devastating reminder of how... Um, so for those who may not have seen it, um, this woman... Um, it's a two-minute video of like compiled... Um, the times that she got cat called over a hundred times, like wearing just like certain jeans. Um, and not that that should matter, but like, um, that it, walking around New York city in the, in 10 hours, getting cat called about a hundred times. And, um, it was met with so much aggression and people From saying, home. Um, you know, men. the internet's okay. men on the internet saying <laughs> I mean, like, that should be a compliment. A lot of people were saying worst. like, Hey, beautiful or hello. How's it going? Like where it's just, you know, there's, it, it, but, but just this, this deluge of people saying, well, first just like, Oh, that isn't a thing. That's not harassment. And then even worse, you know, like threats and rape threats and, and all that stuff. And, and oh, just men. like <laughs> the best. Yeah. But it just, to me, I feel I just feel so sad because um, I like to think that we're, that like society is opening in a way and probably it is too, but this whole kerfuffle around that was such a powerful reminder of how far we still have to go. And that makes me really feel for whoever wrote in too, just like the times when you feel gross, like you should never, ever have to feel gross. You should never like that. Like I, I, there's so, there's so much, like macro societally that perpetuates the reasons why you feel conflicted around this. I did want to point out real quick, um, just in the interest of being fair, there is one legitimate criticism of the video and the racial thing that is that it just so happens mm-hmm. that all of the men are men of color. Um, that is that very problematic. The woman is a white it's woman. A, yeah. And there's some, yeah. there's been some suggestion that the white men were edited out of the video because either something it didn't catch on audio or something ruined the shot. And I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I do know that it would have been very valuable to have such a video taken with a woman of color as, as the subject. Mm. Um, because I think you would have seen uh, probably more catcalling, more threats, um, and a more like racialized and sexualized nature uh, uh-huh. to the catcalls. I think that I'm really glad that you brought that up. I think that I don't know that that like undermines still that like mm-hmm. it's doing some some good in the world but yeah. i think it's really important to hold that in that light as well um i'm just thinking back to the person who wrote in like how to the question the question was really like how i feel confused about it how do i navigate that within myself mm-hmm. and that's a really big thing um that i have a lot of compassion for and i think um something that my dear friend jillian who's you've heard speak on the podcast before says is like often people feel such a pressure to be desirable that they are not as in touch with what they desire. And so it may be that the person who wrote in is like very in touch with what she desires. And that is like being objectified, maybe even in like a BDSM sense. And that like, that's awesome and a thing to be celebrated. But I think it's also possible, or I know at least like me when I was in college, I didn't really know what I desired. And like that, like a, kind of like a holistic starting place would be to ask yourself questions about what really you desire separate from how other people view you. Maybe you're super in touch with this already, but if not, a couple things that you could try 
are, um, this is something Francisco Ramirez has said, like, um, just notice what you're saying yes to in everyday life, whether it's sexual or not, just like what turns you on, makes you feel alive as a human. Um, just being really conscious about your, um, your solo sex practice and your masturbation and like just really noticing what feels yummy for you, what doesn't, what things run through your head as you are, what, um, uh, anything anything of that ilk or as you are encountering partners that are really respectful to you and you feel awesome with just like really being conscious and intentional about what what it is that's really working for you and there's a chance that as you get even more deeply in touch with that than you are now that this line will feel clearer that at least like if you're putting yourself into situations that you feel gross in that hopefully that will decrease the part that just is like, I feel such rage about in society that like, you might just like just existing as, as a a woman in the world, you might nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Like you might be made to feel gross, even if you are perfectly in touch with what you desire. But so I, I, like that all that's the big context that we talked about needs to be held first and foremost. But I'm just saying also like if, if there are situations in which you you're like, I'm going to try this and then feel gross afterward that being in, um, I'm not totally sure what you mean. Are you saying that, that one, that one thing that can happen, that can happen as, as a good upshot of this is that she can learn in what contexts she likes to feel this way and then pursue those separately from the, cultural context of being a sex object whenever she exists in the world i'm not totally sure what the, what you're getting. that's part of it okay. i think because the question was i feel confused about why i feel this way sometimes and not mm. i don't feel clear i i want to be able to ask this person mm-hmm. is that like situations that you've chosen that you're like theoretically gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. into and then feel ambivalent about afterwards which is like oh my god that happens to everybody i really feel for you there or is it that you love um in the context of of uh, a casual hookup that you've chosen or a relationship that you've chosen, it's awesome. But when you're walking down the street, it feels awful. Right. So I'm, I don't feel clear from who wrote in which that is. So I just meant to address the other side of that without at all discounting the big stuff that we already put in the room. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, when I think about this question, um, I hear a lot of just uncertainty about um, it kind of sounds like you're not sure when you're going to feel gross and when you're not. Um, and I would say, you know, if you're, if you're not so sure about, um, your own desires, so the therapist in me wants to recommend journaling, um, as something that you could do to understand that better. So for instance, keeping like a little log of encounters that you have and how you felt about them, um, and particular things to pay attention to might be, again, did you choose the situation? Was this, you know, you went to a party or you went and had a hookup or was this, you were doing something completely different with yourself and someone else sort of brought sexuality into the conversation or into the space. Um, another thing might be um, how the person is responding to you or how they're treating you. So I've noticed, um, I like to go to conferences about unrelated topics usually. Um, and I often like to dress nice when I'm there because it's a special event for me and it's fun. Um, and I've had uh, guys come up and say things like, hey, I just wanted to say y- you look beautiful and your outfit is amazing. Hope you have a great day and then leave. And that left me feeling really good, um, even though I was viewed sort of sexually, sort of physically. And then I've had people do the whole, you know, nice tits, you know, kind of look like a slut in that dress. You know, that doesn't feel so good. Um, 
So sometimes it's the person's tone or their body language or even just things that you might not be able to articulate. But something about it's just like, ugh, something about the way that he looked at me. I don't, I'm not okay with that. Yeah, and I think that if you feel that way, it's like really okay to own that. And in whatever context you're feeling gross, it, um, I mean, we, there's a lot we don't know, but if it's in the context of somebody that you're, you have communication with and a relationship with and you're hooking up with and you're feeling like that, like it's really okay to own those feelings and to talk about it and to say like, this is not okay. And these are the things that, yeah. That. It's also okay to have different standards for different people, mm-hmm. um, especially as regards like different levels of relationship. But even if it feels about the same, like you might have a hookup buddy who will use sexualized sort of demeaning language in the context of like a consensual, you know, sexual play with you. And that feels great. But then you might, you know, be just starting to see someone else, or maybe you meet someone at a party and they use the same language and that's no longer okay because you haven't established that with them. Uh huh. Or I was even thinking the example that you gave of at a conference, like I think the same thing applies there. Like, honestly, if somebody said the same thing to me, like unsolicited, said like you look really beautiful today like I I know it's funny because this is all tied in with then like then the baggage of sometimes that is tied to a a tone that is disrespectful but my response to that would be I didn't dress today to please you or to you know (laughs) I'm dressed that way for myself and so I even feel like that a situation that you described I might feel a little affronted by and men will tell you that this is confusing and we remind uh-huh. men to go fuck themselves oh. i was just thinking that because <laughs> i think men will often view women as a monolith and i've had men yep. i've had men say things to me like yeah well well feminists say that you know women <laughs> women want to pay for their own date but once i took a woman on a date and i didn't offer to pay and she was mad at me and never wanted to see me again and i'm like wow, you mean that women just like men might have different uh, desires? <laughs> and maybe one woman wants a partner There's who offers such a thing about a case-case case basis? Case-by-case <laughs> case basis? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of my thing with making uh, comments about women's appearance. Um, if that guy had asked me on my blog or on this podcast or whatever, if I would advise saying what he said to me, Honestly, I would say no, because better safe than sorry. I would rather not have had those 10 seconds of, oh, wow, that was kind of nice, than for another woman that he said that to, to feel uncomfortable for 10 seconds. That is my cause-benefit analysis. A lot of men don't seem to get, not all men, um, but a lot of men. <laughs> hashtag, yeah. hashtag. Oh God, yeah. hashtag. Um, yes, oh hashtag. Just real quick, real quick. Um, but a lot of men don't seem to get this. They think like, oh, well, sure. Well, some women might not like it, but someone else might ask me for my number. Okay, look, whatever, buddy. Um, I think that it's worth it trying to avoid making people uncomfortable. And, well, and so that makes me think of a couple different things. I think that what we're all trying to do is like, I don't know, like not worry about what's politically correct or like let's walk on eggshells to not make people uncomfortable. But like for everybody, men and women and everybody in between, like to really think about like what is the world that I would like to see? And so for any any man who feels confused about this, like that's okay. Like it I get this is this is nuanced and and that's okay. Like to feel like, oh, this is nuanced. I need to learn more. So on the one hand, like ask your female friends about it. That would be a thing to do. If you but, don't have any, it's indicative of a problem. Yes. <laughs> but also, like, really, like, I guess this betrays my worldview where I like do believe in 
Oh God, I'm such a sad, I believe in inherent goodness of people, like the potential to be good. Stephanie I do. Johnstone. I really do. Aww. So that's where I'm coming from here. I'm not being condescending with that all, by the way. I'm like, I honestly mean that's 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 yeah, that's but, so hard to do in the face of evidence. God, <laughs> I know. I really know. Okay. But what I'm saying is that's awesome. that like I really believe, and maybe this is bullshit. But I really like if people like really sat with themselves and like really what is like the most fair and loving and just world that could be like you could comment on somebody's appearance, whatever their gender identity, but have it be coming from a place of really seeing them as a full human. And I think that's the thing. It's not like I never like being called beautiful or anything, but it's like I feel if I feel that. I'm being addressed as a full human, um, then that then I feel like it's just about anything is okay, and that's a fine line because people will respond right. differently. So I'm speaking just from my experience, and that's all I can speak. It's a from. data point. Your adverb usage is great. Your outfit <laughs> looks great. Your your that you did a really nice thing for somebody yesterday as part of a, a in a context of yeah, yeah yeah. And I am I am somebody who also in a consensual power play situation loves to be hardcore objectified and worshipped. Like that that is one of the things that I'm into when it's like highly consensual and like talked about. I see how like that. That, that can be hot, but I've, I'm talking about just existing in a in a in a just day to day and um, how I, I get how men feel confused about this, but that I would invite you to this larger perspective and to asking your female friends about it. Weigh your confusion against the fear that other people feel of you. I don't know. I feel like mm. like men think like, oh, my confusion is the worst thing in the world rather than my confusion is... Oh, like another one of those overcompensating scenarios like yeah. the like we must legislate for consent even though that's not... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Rough. But I hear how it can feel rough to men too. Like I, I get it. Not, Meh. Not that, okay. Actually, I'm working on an article about this. So it'll be about, there's this article that came out a few weeks ago, I think in Bloomberg magazine about, they were interviewing college men who were saying, wow, I mean, you know, with all this, all this consent stuff going on, I don't even want to ask a girl for her number anymore because what if she's going to accuse me of being a harasser? Um, and I just wanted to write about sort of why, I understand their fear um, mm. and I understand why they're overcompensating. Um, and it sounds to me like they haven't really internalized what this whole consent thing is. It's not thou shalt never ask a woman for her number. It's mm. be mindful of boundaries and consent. Um, and thou shalt see humans as full human beings. Yes. I, I think that's the part that a lot of people are missing. Um, and I think to, to bring it back to the question for a moment, um, it is true that, our physical appearance is the first thing that anyone will ever know about us. Uh -huh. um, and when you're doing whatever it is that you do, go in the class, go in the parties, hang out with people, you walk into a room and that is the first bit of information that they have. Um, and I think sometimes that can be great. And other times maybe you feel like you wish that they saw something more. Mm. Um, and I just really want to validate that. Mm. And I bet... And people feel that in gradation across the spectrum, whether or not it's about being objectified sexually. Like. Yeah. There was a fantastic comment on Metafilter. Don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Although some book cover designers are really good. It's true. Um, there was a comment on Metafilter uh, uh, responding to a question about the sort of like, well, how do, well, how do I know? Well, I'm just being complimentary. Why, 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 why am I being seen as harassing when I'm just telling somebody that they look pretty, right? And I think the comment was something, and we'll link to it because they said it so well, which was like, 
okay, imagine that every time you left your house, you were approached over and over and over again by people who thought that you owed them a dollar. Oh, that's great. And so, and so sometimes they would come up and be really nice, but what they really wanted was a dollar and they thought that you owed it to them. And, mm. uh, and so, you know, you sometimes at first you would engage with these people, but then they wanted a dollar. And every time you went, you couldn't go Tempe and somebody would want a dollar. And, and sometimes they would mad about it. Sometimes they were nice about it. But, uh, but eventually you'd start to get pretty fucking cagey about anybody who talked to you really wanting a dollar, right? This is what it's like to be a woman on the street. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That feels, that feels kind of right on to me. Does that resonate with you? It does a little, um, except to the extent that they are ultimately asking for something of you. And I think a lot of these men will say, no, I just want to tell her that and then yeah. go about my day. But here's the thing though, you're still asking for my attention. Yeah. And even if it's to tell me something nice, I am a busy adult with places to go and things to do. And also I think that the most salient part of this is that what's horrifying often about the quote unquote nice comments is not the comment itself. It's that you have no idea where it's going to go. So exactly. I have had, yeah hey, you look beautiful today, followed up with me saying thanks and them being like, you're welcome. Or I've had it followed up with me walking away and then being like, fine, fuck you anyway, you ugly cunt. Nobody wants you. Yeah. How the uh-huh. hell do you know? I have seen men, their entire face just turns grotesque. Their, their tone, their body language. It is not something that you can tell. And I think like, a lot of men think that there is some other species of man out there who does this, who's easily identifiable. Mm. And, we'll and I think just... that the, the catcalling video perpetuated that a little bit yes. and having no, uh, no white men in that because somebody could like watch it and feel like, oh, that's not me. And I was me. just going to say, because the, the nice guy always looks white and then the, the nasty monster guy is always a man of color in this popular conception. Um, and that is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually an article on Jezebel a few months ago written by a woman of color who was harassed and attacked by a white man in like downtown Manhattan in just this most horrifying way. And not only did nobody help her, but also she felt that this narrative is just missing, that this is something that only happens to nice white girls in neighborhoods that are mostly filled with men of Mm. color. Um, And in fact, in, um, in that article, she said that the only people who helped her were a group of like young black teenagers, Mm. the exact sort that a lot of people would automatically consider criminals. They helped her. They, um, they offered to chase the guy off for her. She told them no, because she didn't want them getting apprehended by the police, walked into the subway. Where (laughs) were, where were all these white men in this situation? Why weren't they helping? They were bringing down the world economy. <laughs> that's oh, that's God. where they were. I mean, that, that, um, that's a, that not, a hashtag not all white men. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have, I've made to was, make a confession, guys. I've been doing <laughs> high-frequency derivative trading. and um, okay. There's this great parody of the catcalling video um, with a, a white guy. <laughs> it's a white guy walking in. It's a two-minute video of a white guy walking down the street. In, it's a funnier die um, uh, for 10 hours and what got said to him. And it was all like, like you're awesome. Want to play baseball? Want a million dollars? Here, have a scholarship. And it ends with people carrying him on a chair being like, you're the king of New York. Yay, patriarchy. <laughs> it's, very, it's, a, it's a very welcome. I choose both funny yeah. and die on that one. Yeah. Funny and die. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, um, boy. To this, love. Love to this person who wrote in. And, like, there's the odds are, you know, the 
society is fucked up and we can do some work on ourselves to be in touch with what we desire. And also we have a long way to go societally and, um, hashtag not all societies. <laughs> Actually, probably pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably yeah. pretty much all of them. Oh God. On that note, question three. Shall I read it? Yeah. Okay. Question three. How do you balance between being honest in a relationship and reserving the need to have something that's just yours? In other words, do I really need to share everything? No. Oh, God, I have so much to say about this, but I went first the last two. <laughs> I, think, I think you're... You got beaten to the punch there on that um, one anyway. I just had to say no because uh, I think we do have this image sometimes of a healthy relationship as one in which um, you can share everything, and that turns into you have to share everything. Sure. Mm. Um, and I do think it's more about feeling free to share whatever you want than it is about having to reveal every aspect of your inner self to them. Um, I think that there are certain things that we have varying degrees of responsibility to share, starting with the most obvious, you know, for instance, safer sex, anything related to that. Mm -hmm. Continuing on, you know, I think if you're in a serious or long-term relationship, especially, um, you should be sharing things like possible triggers that you have, desires that you have, um, the things that they need to know in order to be a good partner to you. But do they need to know how you feel about anything and everything? Do they need to know all of your thoughts, all of your opinions, all of your beliefs? I really don't think so. Unless that feels good to you. Yeah. yeah. Or I think, I think there's something like in a, in a, I think it's good to like check in about what your expectations are around that. If you're building, like, a, especially if you're building a long-term partnership, like I think there are certain things if they affect the other person that not that there's an obligation to share, but that, a kind of openness around that can be good. Um, sure. And also, uh, also it, it, it can be okay if some, if your partner is telling you things and you'd rather not hear them to be like, Hey, I'd rather not like, this is a topic that I would prefer you not to check in with me about. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay too. Like to have an awareness that, that it, I think the part of this can be the, 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 the onus to feel receptive to all things that are being given to you, that it can be okay to, decline some of them as long as it's okay right and i think another way of saying what what you said Mir, and, and i agree with that dave is like there's a difference between hiding or holding on to a secret that you f that like that i hate to use the word should but should be sure that is relevant to the other person or just having thoughts that you have on your own that don't need to be brought into the situation yeah, I think um, maybe a good measure of that is, does it feel like you're being secretive? Um, if so, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. It could also be that the expectations in the relationship are not, um, that, that you haven't sort of set them with each other maybe. Because if you feel mm -hmm. secretive, because you feel that your partner would want to know this if they knew that you were having that thought, um, that might be time to have, you know, like we've been saying, a talk with them about, what do we, what should we share with each other and what should we feel mm -hmm. free to keep to ourselves? Um, but other times, you know, people are keeping things to themselves and they feel that they're keeping a secret because it actually might be something that they could think about sharing um, because it might be really important for the other person to know. Mm. So that's why my initial instinct is to recommend like having this, what do we share with each other be an open conversation from the beginning of a relationship and a thing that mm. you check in with from time to time. Um, about like 
how, how, how about how you're feeling about this? You look skeptical. I'm thinking. Okay. I'm thinking face. I think um, even if, if you, this particular person is monogamous, um, polyamory has a little bit to teach us here because uh, something that uh, poly folks in their relationships do is that we often talk explicitly about what would we like to share slash know about each other's other partners. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a conversation that we usually have. And I've had partners tell me, I don't want to know anything about them. I don't want to know their names. I don't want to know what you do with them. I don't want to know anything. Yep. And I've had other people say, um, I would like to know as much as you want to tell me because I like hearing about it. And mm-hmm. then I personally wouldn't feel comfortable with this, but other people have agreements where they have agreed to share everything, um, who the people are, what they're doing with them, maybe even stuff about their sex. Although I think in that case, I, I do think that you might have a responsibility to clear that with your other partner. Like, is it okay if I uh-huh. share details? Oh, about, sure. Definitely. I would say definitely. Yeah. I about our definitely. sex life with my other partner because they prefer to know. Um, <laughs> I have, I just err on the side of over communication and I just make that known. And I say like, if we're getting involved, then my, my primary love gets to know this. Yeah. And, and I think I'm I upfront think about that. Also, and if someone's not into it, then they're not into me. And I think, um, it can be like this around other aspects of life too. Um, mm-hmm. and you don't have to obviously go topic by topic, but it can be a conversation like, what do you feel like you need to know about my life in order for us to be in a relationship versus what would you really like to know? What would you really like to not know? Um, yeah. And then just share that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, in short, I agree with your initial no, but I think that it's not, but it's not as simple as just as mm, I would say that in a, in a partnership or relationship, I don't think you get to just pick that and have it be a fait accompli. I know I was going to push back against this too. Well, I'm really agreeing about the, like you be you and do your thing and check in and communicate about it. But you want to finish your thought and then I'll jump in. I, 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 I don't even have one. Oh yeah. Well. Hashtag not all thoughts. No. <laughs> Go on. I'm just thinking, um, well, the question is, do you really have to share everything? No, nobody has to do anything. Of course I agree with what we're saying. Check in, communicate about it. What works for you? Um, don't lie about sex safety. I, yeah. Yes. Nope. Don't lie. Do yes. Do you have thing. to share about sex safety stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, I think that it sometimes can be good to examine, like, if you're holding on to a space as just yours, like, maybe that's great and totally healthy. And maybe there's something to examine there. Um, And I'm turning this on myself. I'm thinking of a personal example of something that just happened, which I will share. Um, Is it your secret bowling alley trips? Oh man, all of, right after I've been working with Ebola patients. And, Jesus. You know, like, like, you know the doctor. Who yes, is, I know. Yeah, no, that's a terrible joke. That's really terrible. I can't believe I just said that. Um, but I, um, I am intertwining uh, my life more with my primary love who lives in a different city from me. And that's a really exciting thing. But as we're negotiating boundaries and what we need to know and, and all that. Um, cause I'm going to be moving be- between three different cities. I'll be in three different cities each month starting in January. And so I said, Oh, I should probably share like a Google calendar, like just the line of like, where I am at any, like, I would like for you to know and the dates when I'm with you or the, or the dates where I'm elsewhere. I would like for you to know. And then 
the suggestion was made that like maybe we just intertwine Google calendars. And I had a totally reptile brain reaction to that. Like, I don't want anybody to know where I am at any moment. <laughs> like I went on this whole thing, which was totally not justified based on what what he said. Um, and I had a consciousness about this and, and conversations with other people. I realized it for me, that case where I felt like I'd want my schedule to be just mine. And in a sense, it's fine if I want my schedule to be just mine. And and honestly, my partner would be also fine if my schedule was just mine. There are other ways to to figure this out. It wasn't he wasn't suggesting this because he needed to know where I am every single second. But um, it was just a convenience, a practical thing. And but my reaction when I felt that that to me was a signifier of like, oh, Stephanie, dig dig a little deeper in yourself. Where is that <laughs> disproportionate reaction coming from? And for me, it was checking in like. Do I trust my partner to respect my autonomy? And the answer is resoundingly yes. So something like intertwining Google calendars can increase the ease of our existence and also um, not encroach on my autonomy. I don't need to but, throw a wrench into these works, but you know that you can set it so that anybody else can just see busy or free, right? No, I know, but it was not <laughs> the, but, totally. And that wasn't the that wasn't because because we're we're open to any permutation of this. It doesn't have to be sharing everything, but it was interesting to me that I had such a strong reaction. Totally. And so I guess I would just say to anybody who's wondering about this, like what to share, what not, if you have a really prickly reaction, that doesn't mean that you should definitely share that, but maybe dig deeper. Cause then for me, it felt really good to be like, Oh, totally trust this person. Like I don't need to intertwine Google calendars. That's not the point, but we, can and that's no big deal at all actually i actually have my own version of that which is um so i have depression this is something i'm really open about um and everybody knows it because i write about it however um when it comes to sharing with my partners um like my thought patterns or things that i'm going through that pertain to that i have a very very strong sense that i need to keep it to myself Mm. um and where this comes from, I know where it comes from, which is having been having lost many partners and friends because I let them in to see that and they couldn't mm. really deal with it. And so they left not sort of as an on purpose, like punishment kind of thing, but they lost any sense of joy in being with me because it was all tainted by, um, I guess, these pretty dark thoughts that I was having, yeah. um, mm, which are a part of your full self. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. And for a while, I had an easy answer to this, which was you might be able to guess well, anyone who really loves me will be able to take me at my worst and therefore I will just share and if they don't like it, they can leave. But then I learned that actually um, the fact that I don't share all those details with someone doesn't necessarily mean that we can't be like in a close, committed, serious relationship. Um, So, and that that is in fact possible and I can be honest with them about things like oh, sorry, I can't go out today. I'm having like a really bad brain day without necessarily telling them all of the terrible thoughts that I'm having. So mm. now it's, it's, I'm trying to find a balance between um, how far do, like how much do I let them in and what do I share? Because they might not be able to deal with it and lose their feelings for me or they might not. I don't know. Uh. Humans. Humans. Humans, man. <laughs> Humans are so beautiful and messy, and myself included. Yeah, I kind—I of, did have this wonderful vision now of like sending out a mass email, being like, "We wanted you to be the first to know 
we combined Google Calendar. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the that's the new mark of a relationship moving to the next level. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> Fuck moving in together. Right. The combining of Google Calendar. Also, you guys said with the kind of people who might actually send out that email. <laughs> I expect to receive it now. Me too. Okay. We should do it. You got it. With you a got little it. screenshot. Just, and you can blur out the You got names. it. It'll be, you'll be so excited. It'll be so exciting. Yeah. And thrilling to, yeah. to know this. And you should, na- you should name your new combined Google Calendar. That'll be great. Yeah. That'll be great. We'll be very intentional about it. Becky. Uh, sorry, I really hate that name. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> um, we're going to talk for a few minutes about God. <laughs> Not God. Yeah? I meant like, like oh. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ God? I mean, Gian Gomeshi. Fuck that whole situation. I have no idea what and you're talking about. So we need, to, we need to talk about this and then the Northwestern thing. If yeah. we get to it, should we start? Which word, which should we start with? Gomeshi, I think, is the more. Relevant. Do you want to give the roundup to, um, to Dave and, and others? So you who, can fill in the details the that I can't remember because I have a horrible memory. But basically, it's this Canadian per, uh, radio personality, TV or radio? TV, I think. Oh, TV, because I guess they have those things in Canada. Um, <laughs> Televisions? <and he's, laughs> no, personalities. Like, okay, okay that, that sounds really awful. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, and. He sort of, I haven't been following his work, but I have learned that he has a history of sort of championing progressive causes, you know, Mm -hmm. women's rights, things like that. Um, And then um, a woman came forward, actually several women have come forward. Now it's nine. Nine Nine women women have come come forward. forward. Um, And they say that uh, he uh, beat them without their consent as part of what he has imagined is a BDSM encounter. Um, and he posted this this long uh, note on Facebook, um, even before it, when it was still only one in woman. In collaboration with like a PR crisis navigation yeah. company. And it was about how um, he is being, you know, you will hear that I am a terrible pervert because I like doing these things in the bedroom, even though it's consensual. Um, he referred to her as some like jilted ex-girlfriend who was upset because he broke things off and is now um, has started a months long campaign to harass and ruin him, basically. Um, and this was before the other women came forward. So after the other women came forward saying like, wow, the same thing happened to me, you know, we were on a date, you know, I came home with him. He started beating me just violently. Um, and I, I guess he, he is framing this as nobody understands BDSM. They're all persecuted perverts. Framing us uh, as violent perverts. I do everything what? with consent. And now obviously I should state according to the law, innocent until proven guilty. So, and the theory that's being proposed by, you know, sort of his supporters is that all of these women have gotten together and fabricated these claims in order to take him down uh, to, for some purpose. Uh, and I find this fantastical, much more so than the idea that a famous and powerful man might use that position to abuse women. And I was going to say, like, my reaction is, like, n- not in my name, like, as somebody who's very into consensual power play, like, to claim that um, that for, for him to make what I consider to be, like, thin um, comments about consent or to take that lightly. But I also have to admit, like, the roller coaster ride that I've been on with this, because I first saw the first thing that came out was his Facebook post, and several, over 20 people sent it to me thinking that, I should know about this and we should talk about it on the podcast. And they are right, um, as we were talking about on the podcast. But um, over 20 people sent it to me and I read it. And my first thing was was to be 
oh my God, it's so important to to fight for the rights of kinky people. And if it if this is if what he's saying is true, which we don't know, we don't have all the information, but it is really, you know, it's heartbreaking how, you know, there are cases where, you know, people lose I know I know a case where people lost custody of their children because their like the mother-in-law found a locked box of of BDSM equipment under their bed, like in a locked box and then like that was used as evidence like against their character. So it is true that that um that those who are into what is often called alternative sexuality, although I think that like it's basically the norm with like how many people <laughs> are into some sort of, of of kinky stuff, um, is is used like to to defame people's characters. And this does happen. And so when I first read his post, I thought that I had an impression of the full situation that it was something very different and, and we, we need to be outspoken about sexual freedom rights. And then I'm thankful, you know, a lot, a lot came forward, like the nine women who, um, who had these experiences. And then those nine women are being, um, sloughed off or, or, or worse saying, you know, why are they remaining anonymous? Why can't they come forward? And the reason why they can't forward, come forward is this thing that I just said, which I was first thinking about G and Gomeshi that like, because that could be used as evidence, like against their character, if they say that they're into consensual power play, because with at least some of these situations, they, it was open that they're into power play dynamics, but they, but they, that's not even close to then consenting oh, yeah. to like varsity level power play plus it will be way just given the struct given the, the society is currently constructed it'll be way worse for them he might be seen as some christian gray strong motherfucker and they're going to be seen as sluts uh-huh immediately right the, just for having the just just for why'd you go home with him yeah. right yeah. why didn't you say anything right when it happened you must have been asking oh, for they him. always do that and then they'll be like well why are they remaining anonymous and then someone comes forward and they're like well she's a lying whore well okay. uh-huh. <laughs> we can't win we can't yeah. win but um the best post about this for anybody who wants to learn more um it's called poor persecuted pervert by andrea j-a-n-i-n i'm not trying to say her last name but that was my favorite that just like held this all in it it's like full nuance i don't know what yeah you- I've, I've also read that post um it was republished somewhere else too so it's sort of gaining wider circulation um and that is someone i believe who is in sort of the the kink community mm-hmm. um and i'm really glad for these perspectives because as you said i think some of us do feel like you know if you had just read his post out of context sort of like you did it it does sound like just another in a long line of and he did actually, he was fired from his job. Um, so that is a reality. You know, people do face um, things like job loss or other forms of um, discrimination for engaging in kink. Although I would say it's more likely to happen to people who are already marginalized in a number of other ways. Totally. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was glad to see that post coming from the perspective of someone who also faces this, who is still able to take it seriously and be like, no, you guys, like this isn't persecution of kinky people. This is mm. he, he assaulted people. Good grief. That in kink and in everything, consent is everything. And how does this tie? What's the North? Is the Northwestern thing linked to this or is this a separate? So the Northwestern thing is separate. um, Although, as you will see, it's very thematically similar. Um, So it's a, it's a professor at Northwestern, professor of philosophy. Um, He was accused by a student of, um, of groping. um, And the story was they had gone out. She'd been drunk, um, got very drunk, woke up in his bed with her clothes off. 
Um, and I don't remember if she said she recalled being groped or something, whatever. So the investigation by the university found that he did indeed, they were drinking. He did take her home. She did wake up naked there. So sexual misconduct did happen. They weren't able to substantiate the groping claim. But again, that's sort of like a high standard of evidence. So, um, and now he is actually suing the student. Um, for defamation of character? Yeah, for, for lying. Um, for fabricating this. And again, it was a very similar justification. Like, oh, she kept, uh, she was propositioning me. You know, I said this was improper. You know, she was upset and now she's making up these claims. Um, So although it's such a different situation in so many ways, and there's a lot lot more details to it um, than I've said here, the common thread is that these men who have positions of power over the people who are accusing them will not merely say, oh, that didn't happen. There must have been some misunderstanding. I didn't do anything like that. I'm not sure what she was thinking, but that didn't happen. No, they go on the offensive. They try to paint these women as hysterical, delusional, crazed, jilted exes, ruin any credibility that they might have, and play on this sort of script of the crazy, jealous woman who didn't get the man, so now she's out to ruin him. Mm -hmm. And so let's say... Maybe that happened. What if that happened? I don't think that it did. I want, you know, but I don't, I know less about the situation, but I go back to the Ezra Klein piece on the, um, on the, the consent law in California. Like, of course it, it sucks for this person who is going to probably lose his job or already has. And, and that's, if it, if it was actually more ambiguous than it's being painted, then like, I can hear how that, that sucks. But even if it does, like, I feel we need to be overcompensating in, in that direction of really listening to, to, uh, survivors of assault because traditionally we haven't been. And so even if we overcompensate a little bit in the other direction, it's one of those things like society is so skewed in the other way. I feel. Well, I also think that if there were sort of a common standard of like affirmative consent, then someone who is falsely accused could say, uh, no, here's how it happened. I said, could I fuck you? She said, hell yeah. And then we fucked. And then the next morning she was, everything was fine. I asked if she was fine with what we did. She said it was great. She went home. I'm not sure where this is coming from now. Uh, Um, and obviously there would still, obviously there wouldn't be any witnesses, but they would be able to say under oath that they sort of did their diligence making sure that this is something that was consensual, it wouldn't be enough to be like, well, I mean, she wasn't saying no. I mean, she was totally coming Mm -hmm. on to me. Mm -hmm. That's sort of neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. Oh, and sticky. And then there's the thing, should, you know, professors be involved with students ever anyway? Probably bad idea, but like, huh. Yeah, unethical isn't the same thing as illegal. Um, Uh I personally tend to be more concerned with issues of ethics than issues of law. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that, that's what I care about more. I, I don't think that professors should be involved with students. Um, while I want to respect students' autonomy, um, in making their own decisions, I also want to acknowledge that there is the a power, power dynamic thing. there. Yeah. It does exist. Yeah. That's why it shouldn't be illegal. Of course it shouldn't be illegal because it's not the same thing as not being able to give consent. You can mm-hmm. give consent, but is that the sort of climate you would want at a university? I don't think so. 
Closing uh, thoughts from McGee. I grumbles, closing grumbles. Picture of a dog dressed as a tauntaun from Halloween, and it made me really happy. Oh. And the dog was really was really over everything. And then and then it was a fun to see a dog and ice cream. This whole episode has been pretty depressing. Uh, <laughs> oops, <laughs> oops. <laughs> no, I mean it's all important. It's all important to recognize. But my goodness gracious. You know, I sometimes I sometimes come come to this come to this place and I and I and like not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but I feel like 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 we're at least acknowledging the complexity and like fostering an open communication. And like I talk to you about this and the community that I'm in, and like I I think that I I think that I may have a slightly too rosy picture about how about how things are in the world, and then something like all of this stuff happens, or or I every day read about Gamergate, and it's it's it's, it's like. It's honestly like it wouldn't be as bad if I remembered that things weren't better, but it's hard because I I think I think that things are better and then everything is terrible. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, how I sort of deal with this um, and maybe do inject a little bit of positivity back into this discussion. Um, I try to think less in terms of the world and changing the world, although I think I am engaged in that to some extent and more about like the local norms and the communities that spring up, the norms within our social circles, the practices that we have, the fact that in within my group of friends, you ask before hugging someone. Yes. Uh-huh. That it would be weird not to ask. You ask, is this okay during sex? You ask, hey, would you like to have an orgy with us instead of just trying to kind of make it happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, this sort of thing... <laughs> I just don't know I, that that la- that last thing. I'm not sure how that would. I'm trying to think of the logistics of that. Please go. On. <laughs> well, you know, people think that um, sex is something that has to happen almost quote unquote by accident. Just yes. like mm. oh, people start making out and then it just happens. Um, actually, uh, Cliff Provocracy gave a great talk. It's a um, solid name. Cliff Provocracy is a blogger. Um, a good nice. name. Writes about sex. Um, and they had a like a talk, and that was a follow up blog post that was called "How to Have Sex on Purpose." And it was a pushback <laughs> against this idea like, oh, I don't know. It, it just happened. <sighs> um, so, yeah. So the fact that in within my specific communities, these norms have developed, that gives me hope that maybe they will be adopted by more people in the future. Yeah. It all has to start somewhere. Yeah. I, that's all we can do. Like acknowledge the fuck up, fucked up in us and live in the way that we are. And, and that's not all we can do. <laughs> There's a little more we can do. There's a lot more we can but do. But that's a good start. We can dress up our dogs start. as tauntauns. And eat we ice can. Cream. And on to quickies. Um, I'm actually going to be quick today. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. But it's like two two pronged, but it's quick. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Um, So the first first part of it is a tweet from Janani Balasubramanian, who's going to be our guest uh, in an episode or two. And they wrote on Twitter, respecting pronouns isn't about being politically correct. It's about being correct, period. Like, do you call a chair a spoon? No? Cool. That's so good. (laughs) Which I love. And I um I just feel a lot of people I love this podcast as a way to engage. Like we it, we tr- do our best not to presume anybody's pronouns. And I'm really excited to see that increasingly in people's consciousness. And so then the second part to that, just thinking about gender complexity is um, via Alex Morgan, who is our guest on, on episode 12. Um, this new hotline that was started um, by trans people for trans people or anyone on the gender nonconforming spectrum. And it is... Um, in moments of crisis, just a place that anybody can reach out 
And I think it's really important to spread the word about this. It's called Trans Lifeline. You can go to translifeline.com. But they're also short on volunteers. And they would like everybody who's volunteering and being at the other end of the of the hotline to be trans or gender nonconforming. But right now, anybody who is a strong ally is also welcome to volunteer. And so um, if this interests you, go to translifeline.com. And um, if you are g- trans or gender nonconforming and just want or need somebody to talk to in a moment of crisis, uh, this is a really, really wonderful new resource. That's great. Thank you. That's pretty quick. That was pretty quick. That was pretty quick. <laughs> um, um, is it okay if I go next? Sure, go okay. for it. Okay. Um, mine is coming out of another thing that's been terrible, uh, which is, uh, we haven't addressed on this show, which is the Gamergate fucking fiasco, uh, which, uh, which, I, I, which would take up... It's ev- about ethics in video game journalism. It actually... Actually, actually, everybody knows. Yeah, we we all we we all we all know. Okay, so it's um it's the most it's the most depressing thing, and it's made me it's made me think about like getting off of Twitter and no longer being on the internet. And I'm not even involved. I just have to see. I follow the people who are whose lives are being made terrible by it. And um and my favorite film reviewer who writes under the moniker of Film Crit Hulk, um (laughs) and is just one of the better culture reviewers working today wrote a piece about uh, how Gamergate made him consider quitting film criticism because this thing that was ostensibly supposed to be a, a medium that inspired empathy has been turned into uh, the, the most terrible thing. And the piece he wrote about it is so, so freaking good. And I don't even know how to excerpt it. I'm willing to it. And you've probably read it already, but, um, uh, but so one, one last Okay, so the one thing that I'll read is um, uh, uh, so his his gimmick is that he only refers to himself as Hulk, not as I. So <laughs> that's going to come out here in this little in this little quote, which is that um, um, uh, the older Hulk gets, the more times Hulk thinks about the void staring moments of stunning inhumanity. It is more that Hulk realizes that the positive actions within those bits of inhumanity are the actions that make up the true currency of the world. It is the thing that fuels us that keeps us a people, the thing that lets us unironically call ourselves a society. And those moments so often inform the language of tragedy too. The moments where disaster strikes and people across all walks of life bind together in a dire emotional need to make it right. We may find the individuals who make explosions, but in the end, humanity is a group of people who run toward the explosions to help. It is what we do. And it is a confirmation. Oh, it is a confirmation, one rooted in the belief and understanding that this is not only what people do on instinct, it is what we know we must do to survive. And no matter how many ideologies, sets of politics, or wayward, misinformed movements try to convince us otherwise, try to make us feel that the alternative response to the crisis of letting the world burn is one that is better, the truth of what we actual do, actually do in crisis persists. We help. It is a dumb, even obvious truth, and it's so readily hidden amongst all the sides we fight over, and it is because of these everyday miracles of what humans do in crisis that Hulk will now echo the words of Joss Whedon, albeit used in a somewhat different context. Quote, I just realized something, something that really never occurred to me before. We're going to win. End quote. No matter how much it sucks, no matter how often our spaces are invaded, no matter how many people are harassed, even when the world itself seems it's going to hell, it all comes back to the obvious truth of how we help when it matters most. And it goes on, it leads to there and goes on from there. And it's just one of the best things I've read in a long time. Say about, the name of the post again. Uh, it's, uh, it's by Film Crit Hulk on Badass Digest. And it's called On Despair, Gamergate, and Quitting the Hulk. Mm. And uh, I think it's just the best thing I've read on the internet in quite some time. So I recommend it highly. Mm. I will give that a read. Yeah. 
um, as my quickie, I want to go on a slightly different note and endorse the idea of talking about sex with your prospective partners before you do it. Hooray! Yay! Um, so this is something that I have often done uh, partially out of necessity because most of my partners are long distance and they are at the time that we meet uh, because we meet online or through conferences um, or whatever. Um, so we end up talking a lot about sex before we have it. Um, we talk about what we like. We talk about our boundaries. We talk about safer sex and STI status. Um both sexy and not so sexy things. Um, and the result of this, first of all, it's often fun just on its own. It's a fun subject to talk about. It can turn into like a sexual, almost like a form of foreplay really to even discuss it with someone. Um, the result is that when we finally do get together, uh, we sort of feel like we almost already know each other's bodies, like more than you would expect for people meeting in person for the first time. Um, and it's really, really delightful. And I think this is also sort of in connection with everything we've been talking about a way of pushing back against um, sort of the lack of explicit communication about sex that is currently the norm in much of our society um, and the way that things are expected to just happen. Like there's this vision, you know, you finally meet someone that you've been wanting to have sex with and you fall into bed and it's all just perfect. And you just happen to know all of their favorite spots and <laughs> positions. Um, I don't know how that would happen. Um, but this is my way of having that cinematic sort of sex, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. And I guess I would just endorse that. I think it's great. I think, um, if you're someone who enjoys communicating via, um, like text or online, it can be a way to take the pressure off of yourself because not all of us are comfortable talking about sex and it can be a little easier to do it without sitting in front of the person or sitting in front of them naked. Um, so yeah, I recommend trying it. Cheers to that. And I think a lot of people think, I just want to feel in the flow and feel abandoned. And oh my God, I want to feel that too. Yeah. But how do you really feel in the flow and feel abandoned without, or like, don't, doesn't it only increase the flow and abandon to feel really confident in your partner's boundaries and what they're into? Yeah. Something that um, some of my friends and partners have also done is actually create little Google Docs that outline sort of our sexual selves. Uh, mine is called how to have sex with Miri and I've shared it huh. with certain people. And I think to some people, particularly maybe of like an older generation, this would seem like the worst thing ever because all oh, the mystery is gone. And yeah, you know, if that's not your thing, if you want to discover it step by step, then it's not your thing. Although I will say there is a lot about me that is not contained in that Google doc. Um, and it gives people a useful starting point. Like don't even bother asking me for this because I will always say no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm going to be totally self-aggrandizing for a moment and share share a, a bit about my um uh, uh, the the you should talk to me if from my OkCupid profile. <laughs> on, um, Do it. Which is uh you should message me if you are fucking awesome at communicating your wants and needs and desires and the idea of clear and kind and honest communication is like arousing and not worrisome. This <laughs> is a sign of missing mystery mind reading or something silly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So, mind I mean, reading but, is a lot more fun in superhero movies than it is in real life. <laughs> All right. Mary, thank you so much for <laughs> thank joining you so much us. Thank you. <laughs> Come back again soon. That's it for episode 21. Thanks again so much to Mary. And you can find more of her work at brutereason.com. And I just want to acknowledge that. 
the things we talked about on this episode are maybe even more quagmire-ish than usual. And um, we would love to hear from you about your thoughts, questions, objections to anything and everything that we talked about. And you can reach us at hello at sexforsmartpeople.com or you can write to us anonymously through our website. And um, if you just want to dig in more and hear us talk more about this stuff, um, we talked more in depth about how to express your masculinity without being a dick on episode 19 with Charlie Glickman. And we talked in a really fun way about how to talk to strangers in a non-creepy way on episode six with Twana Hines. And um, just a quick shout out. I, um, I've been so thrilled to be expanding my coaching practice. I work with individuals and couples over Skype and um, if you are interested in learning more or in potentially coaching with me, you can go to our website and click on face to face. And if you dig what we do and are not already our patron, we ask that you go to patreon.com slash sex for smart people and throw us a buck or two per episode if that's doable for you. Helps keep us afloat. And uh, holiday challenge and request. Would you consider telling three friends about us? Uh, we are so passionate about continuing to widen the circles of people with whom we're in conversation. And so we would love if you share about us with other people that you care about. And also the mighty return of the crowdsource question. Yeah, we haven't had one of those in a while. But um, we received the question, Stephanie, why do you say you go by she or they? I'm not used to people talking about preferred pronouns. Just curious. And so I'm really happy and excited to talk more about that from my perspective. But also we wanted to put this question out there to all of our listeners. The official crowdsource question is what's your preferred pronoun and why? We would love to hear from you. Please let us know your thoughts on that. And on our next two episodes, because we're not sure which order they will happen in. We have such amazing guests coming up. Um, one of them will be Janani Balasu Brahmanian, and they are a poet and writer at Black Girl Dangerous and also a primary organizer at the Queer Detainee Empowerment Project. And I've been a fan of their work for years. And uh, the other upcoming guest is Jimena Almandares, who um, she was just hired at OkCupid to radically shake things up. And she's kind of a, one of the people at the helm of, um, of queering the algorithm to give more options on the site for pronouns, for sexual orientation, for relationship orientation. And it's so important and vital. And we're really thrilled to be able to talk more to her about that on here. And so most of all, most of all, most of all, the last thing, which I know, I know I, and we say this all the time, but I, we really mean it most sincerely. And, um, just thank you so much for being in conversation with us. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Sex for Smart People. Getting to the gym after work, taking your work clothes off and putting your gym clothes on is the sexiest. Empathy is the sexiest. Asking and being asked, what are you into, is the sexiest. <laughs>